Good morning, and as we begin, as we begin this new venture of two services, Brother Hurd is going to lead us in an opening prayer. Would you go to the throne of grace with me this morning? Holy Father, as we bow before you today on this special day, when a lot of things are changing as far as procedure, timing, and we come to praise you and to thank you and to ask you for a special anointing upon these days that lie ahead. Father, as we turn this new century, it's a time for us individually and collectively to rededicate our lives, recommit unto thee. Ask you, Lord, to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Father, we pray for our pastor as a special added load on as his congregation. And we know our father as the pastor builds, so does load the congregation. That there's not any bread in the oven, that there's not any fire in the oven. There's no bread, there's no lamp. So, Father, we pray especially for our pastor and these days ahead. We pray, Father, that you would so anoint him. And, Father, that he would fill with such compassion and concern for the lost. That he will preach as a dying man, a dying human being who faced eternity. We pray, God, that this would be a time of new beginnings for this church and church family. Bless us in this dedication time this morning that you may be truly magnified and glorified, that you might have your rightful place in every heart that is here today. Breathe upon us, O Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Hearn. I hope you're excited to be here this morning. It's a glorious day outside and inside as well. If you're visiting with us today, we are delighted to have you as part of our worship service. In your bulletin, you'll find a perforated tab there, and we'd love for you to fill that out, put it in the offering plate. Actually, as you're departing today, the offering will be taken, so at the end of the service, you can put that in the plate. We want to know of your presence here, and we're delighted that you've decided to share this morning with us. There's multiple announcements in the bulletin, Vacation Bible School, a lot of other good things happening. Big thing is tonight, a celebration cookout at 5 o'clock right here. And don't miss it. It's down in the fellowship hall. There'll be all kinds of good food. It's going to be fun. This men's ministry is sponsoring this. So please don't miss it tonight at 5 o'clock. As we begin our time of worship, we're going to have a responsive reading. Uh, Mr. Wayne Cowan will be our uh, worship leader. I'd ask you to stand and read responsively as we begin. Say to God, how awe-inspiring are your works. 
Your enemies will cringe before you because of your great strength. of God. His acts towards mankind are awe-inspiring. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, because you have redeemed me. Therefore, my tongue will proclaim your righteousness all day long. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him alone. For the Lord is a great God, and the great King above all our gods.
Thank you, sweet Harmon. Thank you for that. That was outstanding. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Then in a little bit, we're going to flip over here in our Bibles, and we're going to look at the book of Matthew. We're going to look here at Matthew chapter 16. So those will be our two scripture passages we're going to be looking at. We have several months ago when we were talking about, you know, this is kind of the beginning, or it is the beginning of our two services, and um, and we were planning it, and uh, our brother heard made a statement, and he said, you know, instead of doing a summer slump, we should do a summer jump. So it's now, I guess, summer, June 2nd already, time's flying by. So throughout this summer, the months of June and July, I'll be preaching on different topics that you can jump into. And today is going to be, since it's obviously our two services, you're going to jump into church. So that's what this is a sermon on. We're going to look at something called ecclesiology. That is the doctrine or the study of the church. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in our Bibles. And you also want to pull out your sermon note outline here, and, and you can certainly follow along with that. Uh, but before we get started, I am a fan of Franklin Graham. And Franklin Graham is the oldest son of Billy Graham. And Franklin, he goes around holding festivals and just has an outstanding ministry there with Samaritan's Purse, which we um, participate in with the Operation Christmas Child with the shoeboxes in October and November, getting ready for Christmas gifts to children around the world. And he, um, he knows our president, President Trump, and he prayed there at the inauguration. And he's called today, June 2nd, for a national day of prayer for President Trump. So I'm going to lead us in a special prayer right now. We're going to pray for our president, pray for our nation, and uh, just, just really pray for revival to occur. We know revival won't start in Washington. It will actually start what we're going to see here in the church and with the Lord. But we do, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter that we are to pray for those in authority and show respect for those in authority over us. So we want to certainly do that this morning. So I invite you to bow your head and we're going to pray for our president. Oh Lord, we come to you here in June on this special day that Reverend Franklin Graham has set aside asking churches and Christians all across our wonderful nation to pray for our president. Lord, we pray for President Donald Trump. We pray that he will be a godly president who seeks after you. Lord, he's under so much stress and so much difficulty, literally on an hourly basis of what he has to endure is the most difficult job in the world. We just pray that you guide him, Lord, you comfort him, Lord, you help just direct his path, that he will be a president who turns to you. I thank you that we're able and fortunate to live in a country that's able to vote and elect our presidents. And Lord, even if we didn't vote for our president or our elected officials, we are commanded by you to pray for them. And we do that this morning. We lift up our president and pray for our nation and pray for a revival and for things and for lives to change, starting at church, starting with us. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thank you for allowing the time to do that. When I was a first grader, entering the first grade, we moved from Bessemer, Alabama to a place called Vestavia Hills, Alabama. Bessemer, Alabama is known for one thing. It's where Milo's Tea comes from. It's the headquarters. If you drink Milo's Tea, that's where it's from. And we moved into a house that had one of these things. And it didn't last long. This was in 1985. 
And what happened, you can't buy these things anymore. I had to buy it on eBay. They don't, you can't go to the, can't go to the AT&T store and buy choir worms. There's not enough folks in there to do it. <coughs> and <laughs> we moved in, and this is, a, this is a, called a telephone. For those that know, and I know there's a generation behind me, because I was only, only had about a year or two, and then they moved to these uh, push buttons that were just like this, and they mounted on, you put it on your kitchen wall. Uh, this would be one that you maybe you put in the living room there on the table. But what happens is you hoped everybody had numbers that started with a one or a two, because if it started with a zero, you put your finger here. Y'all hear that? It's called a rotary telephone. It took forever to call someone. And if you made a mistake, if you went just halfway and stopped and your finger slipped, you had to start over again. So it was, it didn't take selfies. You didn't just talk to it and some, somebody's name comes up. This is a rotary telephone. 35, 40 years ago, when someone made a phone call, this is what you use. This is your only option. I grew up with about, now when I got about third or fourth grade, we, we went to the push button. But there was a period I had to use one of these <coughs> dinosaurs right there. Times have changed for telephones, big time. Now, we're going to talk about the church. Because the truth is, we're about to read the scripture here. There is a generation of folks that do not know about this type of telephone. They would have no idea how to work it if you, you put it in front of them. There are folks here in our city that have never, ever been to church. If you invited them to come to Broadway Baptist, they, they would have I mean, literally no idea. They wouldn't know how, wouldn't know what to wear, what to bring, what to do. They have no clue what they're even walking into. It's completely foreign to them. It's like a rotary telephone. In today's sermon, today's message, we're going to look at what the church is. We're going to look at what the power of the church. God created the church. You know, priests have said it over and over again. He established three institutions. The institution of marriage, the institution of a family, and the institution of a church came from the Lord. This isn't man-made. So when someone goes around saying, well, I don't like the institutional church, you're saying, well, I don't like what the Lord made. The church is something that we come to on Sundays to worship the Lord. Church is not sitting in your bed watching Facebook Live by yourself. It's not sitting in, 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 the, in the Lazy Boy watching TV. Church is a body of believers. Jesus said where two or three are gathered, meaning there has to be other folks, a group of believers who come together to worship the Lord. That is what makes a church. And that's what we gather this morning. So I want you to look here in your Bibles. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, what's going on here is this is when the gospel, when the good news is starting to spread. And it, remember, the church started at Pentecost there in Jerusalem. But persecution broke out. And there was a man named Stephen, the very first deacon. He was executed. He was martyred because he believed and he followed Jesus. But then the gospel starts going out beyond Jerusalem, and that's where we're going to see here this place called Antioch. Antioch is in current day Turkey. Antioch was the first place, we're going to see here in the scriptures, 
that believers, the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are called Christians. And it's important for us because we identify with the people, the people in Antioch. They were a mission-sending, a mission-going folks. So I want you to follow along here. Verse 19, Acts eleven nineteen. 19. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, that's Lebanon, Cyprus, that's a little country in the middle of the Mediterranean, a little island, and Antioch, that's in southern Turkey, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So right now the gospel's going out to Jewish folks. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus, there, that's an island there in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene, Cyrene is a city in Libya, in northern Africa. Look at this. Folks from northern Africa came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Greeks are non-Jews. They, they don't follow the Jewish customs and laws. Also proclaiming the good news about Jesus. So that's the message that they're thinking. When you come to church, what happens at church is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We haven't come here to talk about sports. You don't go to church to talk about the weather. You talk about Jesus, and that's the message of what's coming, of, of we're seeing here. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Look at that phrase, the Lord's hand was with them. Do you want the Lord's hand with you? Do you want God's blessing upon you? Do you want what Brother Heard prayed in his prayer to be here at Broadway, the Lord's hand blesses Broadway Baptist Church. It blesses the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Good news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. So what happened is, all of a sudden, these non-Jews started getting saved, and the Lord's hand was going outside of Jerusalem. Well, the church in Jerusalem, which at that point was really enduring the persecution, they're getting word that these folks up in Turkey and Antioch, they're getting saved. So they, they dispatch kind of like a, a leader, Barnabas, who goes up there and he's going to just check them out. Kind of like, oh, I'm hearing this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a deputy sheriff up there just to kind of see what's going on. They got the phone call, just, I just need an officer to drive by, check them out. So Barnabas goes up there in verse 23. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a large number of people were added to the Lord. Barnabas is described as a description that we all won't set about us. He's a good man, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he has a lot of faith. What a description of this guy. He didn't go up there to chastise them. He went up there and he witnessed the Lord working. And he recognized God's spirit is now moving even among folks who are not like us. And now look what Barnabas does. Then he went to Tarsus. Tarsus is another city in Turkey. Tarsus is where the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity came from. His name's Paul. He went up and he went and searched for Saul. God renamed Saul Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And look at this. The disciples 
were first called Christians at Antioch. Right there we see that what happened was Barnabas was there in Antioch, and he realized these new believers that have been added to the church, they need to be discipled. And he knew of Paul. Remember, Paul had gotten saved on the Damascus Road. He spent some time in Jerusalem, but then he went back to his hometown of Tarsus, Turkey. And Barnabas wasn't far from Tarsus, so he thought, well, I'll just go over to Tarsus and get Paul and bring him here to Antioch, and he can begin discipling the believers. All of this is occurring in a place. And do you know Paul went on three missionary journeys, and they all left from Antioch. All of this is occurring in a sit in a country we call now Turkey. Turkey had the, the birth of the greatest missionary ever there in Tarsus. Antioch, Turkey, it was where the believers were first called Christians and three missionary journeys began there. Do you know 1,500 years ago, there was a city called Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul, right there in Turkey. It was the center of Christianity. It was where the Crusades came from. That was 1,500 years ago. Turkey is now. This country known in the Bible as Asia Minor is now over 80% Muslim. What was once ground zero for Christianity, what was once the missionary sending in the central city, in the central country for Christianity, is now far from God. And I share this because you say, well, what, what could happen? How could a place such as Turkey that was so constant, so faithful to the gospel, all of a sudden they lost it? How could a place such as the United States of America, which we were blessed, we're blessed to grow up in churches such as this, to hear the gospel preached and proclaimed, what if a hundred years from now, our nation is 80% Muslim? What if our country is no longer a mission-sending in a gospel-preaching country? You know, probably 1,500 years ago, if we lived in Constantinople, everyone was Christian. They would have never imagined down the road, and 15 centuries later, no one would hardly be Christian. A radical shift. When the church loses the gospel, when we lose our missionary fever for the, reaching people for Jesus, Christianity, it dies out. The establishment of the church, what we see here, these folks came and worshipped and met together for the Lord, and they Look at that. They brought in Paul who discipled. There was disciple making going on. Then there was missions going on. That's what occurred at the church of Antioch. And they got away from those biblical practices. And it slowly dwindled away. That's what happens. Um, I have a quote here from Al Mohler. He's our president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary right up the road in Louisville. Look what he says here. He wrote a, 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 a story about... Uh, about church in this past week. It says, one of the distinguishing marks of young people who continue in their church participation as adults was that they had developed a warm and trusting relationship with an adult in the church, even just one, other than their parents. And what he's talking about, how a lot of folks grow up, a lot of young folks grow up in church and they, they, they get away from it. 
They fall away. And one of the, one of the most important things a young person can do is have a mentor, have a strong friendship or relationship with someone in their church. Now, you don't have to answer this question, but do you know of a young person other than our four children, Dan Jr.'s up in the sound booth right now, in this church? Like, when I say no, I mean you know more than their name. Like, do you know them? Would they speak to you if you passed them in the hallway? If you saw them at Walmart, would they say, hello, Brother Ed? Would they know that? Hey, Skip. Think, you don't have to raise your think about this. If you don't know a young person, if, if young people, and I, when I say young people, I mean children, I'm talking about teenagers, young 20-year-olds, coming up in college students, grow, coming in church, and not knowing anyone older than themselves. That's a distinguishing mark. Older folks invested into them. Paul came to, Tar- came to Antioch from Tarsus and has spent a year discipling these young Christians. These folks, these Greeks, did not know the Lord. They did not have a church background. They needed someone to pour their life into. Church disciple-making is a pattern we see here. Our responsibility as mature believers is to invest and teach folks younger than us. That is a distinguishing mark. That is what? That is discipleship. Listen, many Christian parents, and, and I'm speaking to sharing or talking to ourselves about this, have bought, all in, bought into this big lie that a good childhood is playing a bunch of sports activities, the violin, ballet, gymnastics, every activity under sun that's going to ultimately boost your chance at college admissions so you can get supposedly into a good school and that's childhood your what matters most is your gpa and about how you to make your resume look good when you're applying into college that is a lie and what's going to happen is your, your child's going to be 19, 20, 25 years old, and they're going to be far and, and distant from God's house in the Lord. And you have failed as a parent. The church is an institution God established to teach and to disciple and to do missions for a next generation. So pull out your little piece of paper here. We're going to answer a question. How can we, here we're talking about summer jump, how can we jump? in the church. How do you jump in church? Here at the bottom here of your little piece of paper, you need to prepare your heart, mind, and feet. That's literally a jump. Your heart, you come here, you're preparing for God to move. Your mind, if you're thinking about other things, you're not thinking about the Lord. And your feet, you want to walk out of here and go. There's, there's lots of folks who are not here. And I want to tell you, I love this. David, this would be the most ideal time. Nine o'clock, we get up, we can't even sleep past seven. I mean, if you're up on Sunday, you might as well come to church. It gives you more time in the day. And then right after church is over, you got Sunday school. You come to church and Sunday's going to be out of here by 11, hopefully. Not too many folks talk to you. That's wonderful. We, Sherry and I, we're just regular folks here. This would be our service. We're morning folks. If you got something to do, let's just go ahead and knock it out. We're going to start the day. Why is the early morning worship important? 
You know, the Lord was risen early on a Sunday morning. Worship, we worship on Sunday morning because Jesus walked out of a grave on a Sunday morning. So you come on 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings with your heart, mind, and feet prepared. That's how you jump into church. You've been praying. Number two, the priority of prayer. Have you been praying for this Sunday? You've been praying for folks that maybe that do not go to church? Have you been praying still for who's your one that we did a couple of months ago? Praying for folks that you can invite this summer. People you know who are not at church. It might be your family. It might be your spouse. God answers prayer. Number three, allow the gospel to shape your life. This is going after the quote I just read here. So many other things want to shape your life. We as believers have to say, God, are you shaping my life? What I mean shape my life, what has the most influence over you? Is it your Bible? I'll tell you, you read your Bible, you have a prayer life, it's going to shape and impact your life. If you're using your feet to go and tell other folks about the Lord, that shapes your life. The gospel, that it says in the Bible, it was folks were added to the church daily. Great numbers broke out at Antioch. They were shaped by the gospel. Number four, we need to slay your assumptions. And what this means is you don't need to say, this is how church is. What is church? Church is the centrality of the word. It's the gospel being preached. It's the songs that we sing to Jesus. We've come here to worship the Lord. We make disciples and we go. Now, you say, well, there's a lot of other things going on here. Just open your bulletin. Yes, there's a lot of other things, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's about Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, you haven't gone to church. And yes, there's a lot of other things, but everything ultimately should be bringing folks back to the Lord. This church in Antioch, they were a church that God's grace Favor was upon them. Last section here. Flip over in your Bible. Book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Last section we're going to read here. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. We're going to look here at where the word church came from. Do you know who it came from? It came from Jesus. He was the first one in the Bible to use the word church. He established the church. And he started with his disciples, starting with Peter. Look here in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When they came to a region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he's saying, who, What's word on the street out there about me? But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's a confessional. He's confessing Jesus as his Savior. He's confessing him as Lord. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus builds the church. It's built on Peter, meaning it's built on people. Church is not a building. Church is built on believers. 
believers come and worship the Lord. Peter was the one who stood up at Pentecost when the church was started right there in Acts chapter 2 and preached the Pentecost sermon. And folks, 3,000 folks got saved at the first church service. It was a revival that occurred right away. And the gates of Hades, that's a word for hell, will not overpower, meaning the devil hell will never overcome the church. Listen, church might die out in Turkey, it might die out in America, but if it dies out here in America, if it dies out here in America, it'll be on fire in Uganda. It'll be on fire in East Asia. Just because we drifted from the gospel doesn't mean the seven billion other folks on the other side of the globe have drifted away from the gospel. We have to remember that Jesus is on his throne. He established a church. The gospel still changes lives. Our job is we bring folks to church. We welcome folks to church. We invite them here to church. Why? So they can hear about Jesus. You want to fo- see folks saved? The gospel goes out from Broadway Baptist Church. We are just a light. I point people to Jesus. If I don't talk about Jesus, I haven't done my job, and you need to get a new pastor. If you have a Sunday school teacher that don't talk about Jesus, you need a new Sunday school teacher. If you have a youth pastor that doesn't teach his teenagers about Jesus, you need a new youth pastor. You go visit a church and they're not talking about Jesus, you haven't, taught, you haven't been to church. Church, we, what is this? We're talking about the Lord told Peter, Peter, it's me. I am building my church. The gospel that's going to go out to the entire world is starting with you. And it just spreads. Last verse here, verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. You know what that means? That means, Broadway Baptist Church, that our gospel we preach and teach. If someone walks this aisle during the invitation, they give their life to Jesus, they are saved. If someone, during the invitation, and they hear this message, and they walk out that back door and say, ah, I'll pass. And they reject Jesus, they are lost. And that's that decision you make is bound in heaven. God, when you're, when, when you're standing in front of the God, when in front of God, he'll look at you and say, you remember the gospel. The preacher preached down in Lexington. You rejected it. Therefore, I reject you. And just like you accept the gospel. If you accept it, God accepts you. How we respond to the gospel makes the difference. Now we look at this. Our response for us, tying all this together, is we can't claim shock when children grow up and leave what they've never really We can't claim shock when churches are going out of business in our country because they aren't out soul winning and inviting others to hear the gospel. We can't claim shock when churches aren't praying for the lost, praying for the gospel to go out. We have to end. We have to say, as as believers, I'm going to support Give, pray, use my feet to invite folks to see people know Jesus. God has established this institution. We, are, we as believers, we as a choir, we as folks are to jump into it. We're going to have our invitation.
We close every single service with an invitation. I have preached the gospel to you. I have told you how to be saved. How are we saved here? Look what I want to read again what Peter said in Matthew 16, 16. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's a confession. Peter made a profession of faith. He said, Jesus, I believe in you. If you've never done that, and he did that publicly. He wasn't just a little private conversation. He's in front of all the other disciples, and he's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I believe you in front of everybody. Do you want to be like Peter and make a profession? Do you want to follow Jesus? That's what it means to be saved. We're going to have our invitation. If you want to make a decision, there's no better Sunday. Our first Sunday here at 9 o'clock to say yes to Jesus and jump into church. David Dell and the choir is going to lead us in a song. I'll be standing out front waiting for you to respond. Let's stand together and we'll have our invitation.